Well, for the next two weeks, uh, we are in Psalms 51 and, and 52. And it's really two parts, two-part sermon. I'm calling it uh, Fightings and Fears Within, Without. If you notice, that's a line we just sang in the, in the hymn, Just As I Am. And I, I love this hymn, and I, I know for a lot of folks, they can't hear the hymn without thinking of a Billy Graham crusade. That's okay, too, but uh, there's a lot there, and, and that whole notion of fightings and fears within and without, I think, is a great and a very appropriate description of our struggle in this world as people who are disciples of Jesus and uh, believe in the, the coming of the kingdom of God and yet struggle with the realities of a world that is far from that ideal. But those fightings within are, I think, a great depiction of, of what we each deal with, with our own sin, our own inability to uh, sometimes make the right choices, um, to hit the mark, so to speak. And then also the struggles, the fightings and fears without, the, in, the injustice, the enemies that the Psalms speak about, the world that, um, that just isn't right, and how we engage that world in light of the, the ways of Jesus. Both Psalm 51 and 52 are Psalms of David. And uh, many of the Psalms are spoken of in that way. They just say a Psalm of David at the top. But some of those Psalms of David also have an additional ascription as an introduction in that they identify a, a situation, a period, an event in David's life that the Psalm grows out of. And that's true for Psalms 51 and 52. And we'll say more about the historical situation that David dealt with in Psalm 52 next week. But that's sort of the fightings and fears from without. Uh, but today we're looking at the fightings and fears from within in Psalm 51. And the story that it links to is probably one of the most famous stories in David's life other than Goliath. I mean, when you think of David, you often think of David in terms of two stories, David and Goliath and David and Bathsheba. Bathsheba is the woman uh, with whom he had an adulterous affair. And when she got pregnant, he basically made sure that uh, her husband came home so that uh, he would sleep with her and uh, he wouldn't be caught in his sin. But uh, Uriah the Hittite did not, as the Bible says, go into Bathsheba, but stayed away out of loyalty to his troops because he was a general. So David decided the best way to take care of the problem was to take care of Uriah and then just marry Bathsheba, and that's what he did. Uh, and so he gave orders for the Uriah to go into battle and for the men to withdraw from him, and he was killed in battle, and then David took Bathsheba as his wife, and she gave birth to Solomon. See, the, the Bible is not all uh, wonderful sweetness and light. Um, <laughs> It's got some pretty dark stories in it, and that dark story that I just told is basically the story out of which Psalm 51 was born, because David is confronted by his prophet, Nathan, and realizes the depth of his sin and the ugliness of it, and Psalm 51 was born. So I'd like to read uh, Psalm 51 for us now. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 
For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me in a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from bloodshed, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your deliverance. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you have no delight in sacrifice. If I were to give a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Let's pray. Lord, by your spirit, help us to find our own resonances with this psalm to pray those phrases in it that speak most to our own experience and also articulate the pain that we feel. Help us to hear this psalm and and pray it for others as well who we know are in need of your forgiveness and your healing. Lord, open our lips and our mouth will proclaim your praise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As a Presbyterian, or Presbyterians, we are part of what's called the Reformed tradition. And that means the tradition that goes back to the Reformation. That means, in our case, the part of that tradition that sort of bridged off with John Calvin, as opposed to the part in Germany that bridged off with Martin Luther. And that's your quick lesson in church history. But it created something called the Reformed tradition. Reformed meaning Reformation, like I said, and it's actually a a line quoted by Queen Elizabeth. This is kind of a fun fact, is that Elizabeth, from her safe distance on uh, Queen Elizabeth I, uh, uh, from her safe distance on the the, uh, British Isles, looked over at what was happening on the continent, and she says, it seems to me the Swiss are more Reformed than the Germans. That's where Reformed tradition came from in terms of talking about it. But in my mind, and and I say this as a Presbyterian who's proud of being a Presbyterian, but is also aware of some of the darkness of being Presbyterian. Uh, And to me, one of the more unfortunate legacies of the Reformed tradition is a a little five-letter acrostic that was developed to describe what was called the five points of Calvinism. This is a little bit of a history lesson here, a little bit of a theology lesson, but the five points of Calvinism were put into an acrostic that was based on the word tulip. And each of these five points began with the letter of either a T or a U, L or an I or a P. 
And the first of those is the one that I want to take issue with today. I won't turn this sermon into an exposition of five, the five points of Calvinism. But like anything else, when you try and reduce or distill a theological idea to a simple mnemonic device, the idea suffers. <laughs> it suffers greatly because ideas are meant to be in conversation, not to be easily remembered and used later on as a club. And so the first of those tenets of the five points of Calvinism, and by the way, Calvin was not a Calvinist. It was the people that, at, that came after him that became Calvinists. And that's the way theology and church history works. Uh, you have these camps that develop, and my guess is, is that Calvin would want to enter into conversation about each of the five points and not just simply list them as things you should believe. But the first of those five points is the one that I want to take issue with this morning because like all of the five points, they seek to make a representation of things that are true. But as my theology professor used to say, yes, true, but not adequate. And the T in the, those five points of Calvinism belongs to a phrase called total depravity. And that's what we are as human beings, according to the five points of Calvinism, is that we are totally depraved. We stand in absolute hopelessness of doing anything good, is the way it gets interpreted. What it initially meant was something a little more gentle than that. And that's the point that we cannot save ourselves, that we are absolutely dependent upon God's grace. But what it becomes throughout history is kind of something that lacks this nuance and stresses how any shred of goodness in humanity has disappeared with the fall of human beings. And we're darn lucky that God deigns to even listen to our confession of sin. That's the darker side of we Presbyterians. <laughs> and Psalm 51, for some people, is sort of the, the poster of advertisement for total depravity because of some of the phrases it, it uses. That somehow there's, there's nothing good that can go on in our lives until we admit that there's nothing good and then suddenly there's the possibility of, of goodness. But that's not really what Psalm 51 does. When you look at verses three through five, it seems to do that, especially in lines like, I was born guilty and a sinner when my mother conceived me. That sounds pretty hopeless. And what the psalm is decidedly not saying is that things are hopeless for us. Lines like that suggest that the psalmist is saying, I am hopeless, there's nothing good in me, I need you to fix this. And all of that is true. And it's also true that it can't be fixed unless we somehow begin to tell the truth. What Psalm 51 is not is simply the idea that somehow God will only be pleased with us when we wake up to this truth and admit it to him, that this broken spirit is what he needs to hear before he can move his divine knee off of our necks and decide not to destroy us. That's not what Psalm 51 is saying. 
And that's not the brokenness that's being described in Psalm 51. Because Psalm 51 is talking about sacrifice and offering of a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. And it is not groveling that the psalmist is talking about. And that's mainly because of what a sacrifice is or what an offering is in the scriptures. It's not a painful and costly payment for what we've done wrong. That's often what we equate with the English word sacrifice, that it's, it's something really hard for us to do, something really big that we have to give up, some massive display that we have to make in order to show our remorse. But an offering in the Hebrew sense of what an offering was, an animal sacrifice, if you will, the offering to God in the temple, is really a matter of offering our best, bringing our best out of gratitude for God's loving kindness and God's mercy. And the best in this case, in Psalm 51, is the truth. It's honesty. That's the sacrifice that's being made. That's the offering that is being made, is the offering of oneself in all of one's brokenness, in all of one's limitation, in all of one's emptiness, and entrusting ourselves to God's mercy. It's literally the offering of ourselves into God's arms and trusting the relationship by coming clean. That's the essence of Psalm 51. And as you go through the text, you can see this. It begins in verses 1 and 2 with that appeal, have mercy on me. And that's a great leap of faith to go to the all-powerful God who could destroy and ask for mercy. It suggests a kind of faith that's pretty remarkable, actually. It's a request for kindness and it begins with the risk of believing that forgiveness can be asked for and can be granted. I mean, obviously, David's sins were big ones. They rank right up there. He, he broke two pretty big commandments of the Ten Commandments, adultery and murder, and then not to mention lying. I mean, he's, he's pretty much in there for, for quite a few that are at the top of the list. But he comes to God and says, even now, I dare to ask you, to be true to what I know about you. I dare to ask you to be true about your steadfast love. Then if you move on to verses three through five, he, he essentially says, I know that what I've done is wrong. I understand how I failed to live in response to and in gratitude for your grace and your love. And I understand how easy those destructive choices were for me so seemingly easy to make because I was considering only myself in the process of making them. And then you move on to verses 6 through 12. I, I see how you made me for something better than this. And I ask for your restoration to that thing. I ask to be cleaned up, if you will. I've believed and I've acted out of a lie and you desire truth at the core of my being. So clean me up, forgive me, restore me to the place of joy, deliver me. What David is saying here is I can't fix this, which is absolutely true. I can't clean up this mess, but I can be honest with you, with myself, 
and with my community. I can't fix this, but I can accept and tell the truth. You know, we started worship today with a story that Jesus tells, which I think is a great illustration of the truths of of Psalm 51. It's the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector that I read right at the beginning. I think it's a picture of what David is singing about in this psalm. And it's really a story about two different sacrifices, two different offerings in the temple, two different stances before God, both of them worship, both of them acknowledging the absolute power and sovereignty of God. But those two sacrifices are often exemplary of of what we bring to God. We either try and bring a clean self to impress God or a broken self to appeal to God. The Pharisee offered his own accomplishments and his own attempt to prove his worthiness. The tax collector had offered the truth about his need and the awareness of of his brokenness in the midst of that need. And then a thanksgiving for God's mercy. Have mercy on me, O God, a sinner, as opposed to, God, thank you that I'm not like that creep over there. (laughs) What the tax collector offered was an offering of a deep desire to become all that God created him to be and a painful awareness of how far short he falls from that. I think the message of of Psalm 51 is that to take note of the fact that God doesn't have his knee on our necks waiting for us to submit. God is not somehow impressed by our defeat. God waits for us to admit and own the truth the truth about our need, and the truth about God's love. And that's why the psalmist sings, Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you have no delight in sacrifice. If I were to give a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Let's pray. Lord, help us all to bring that sacrifice of thanksgiving, that offering of truth, and help us by the power of your Spirit to receive your cleansing and also to know that you have set us free in and through that truth. For we thank you for this and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.